Hi everybody, Mike Wardrop from Encounter Church here and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. All right, guys, our Bible reading for tonight comes from Luke 1, verses 26 to 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent to, by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Rejoice, favoured woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, How can this be, since I have not been intimate with a man? The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative, Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless, for nothing will be impossible with God. I am the Lord's slave, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. I just love Christmas. I don't know, any other Christmas junkies in the audience, you know, you, you put in the Mariah Carey on in like early October, that sort of thing. Yeah, you know, I love it. So we come to this story we hear tonight and the rumours would have been flying because Nazareth is a fly speck town on the Sea of Galilee. In Jesus' time, they reckon it had about 500 people and small, in small towns, everyone knows each other's business. So big scandals and small towns make for a bad combination. So we have this teenage girl engaged and suddenly knocked up to her fiance, you'd think, but people are talking. There are all sorts of stories flying around town about this baby, each more imaginative than the last. Needless to say, this is not how Mary and Joseph anticipated starting a family. In fact, Matthew tells us Joseph's story in his gospel, in his biography of Jesus, that Joseph was intending to separate from his fiancée quietly. I don't want any mistakes about this in people's mind. Back in that time, they knew exactly what it meant, right? They had no confusion around reproduction in Jesus' day. They knew what it meant. They knew that people, let's say, who became pregnant and then said, oh, it was divine, were probably making it up. We're probably covering a moral failure. Joseph would have had the same reaction to a surprise pregnancy that you and I would have today. So a surprise pregnancy, numerous angel sightings, and a virgin birth. God comes into the world in scandalous fashion. So if Matthew's gospel gives us Joseph's story, Luke's gospel that we heard from tonight gives us Mary's. This teenager from Nazareth who is unexpectedly thrust into the spotlight of history. Not only does she become the mother of the Jewish Messiah, the Saviour that the people of Israel had been looking forward to for thousands of years, more than this, we are told she becomes the mother of God. Now, just, just let that sink in. 
let that sink in, what that statement means, what it even sounds like in our ears. It's ludicrous, but here we are. Here's what we're told. The word made flesh and dwelling among us. So between the virgin birth, the angelic visitation, the divine parentage, and the 2,000 plus years between then and now, the birth of Jesus can sometimes feel a bit more like a fairy tale than historical narrative. Surely this was just a way for people to understand Jesus' importance to the Jewish people, right? Surely the texts were, I don't know, edited by his disciples in order to help people understand or just to be manipulated the way they wanted it. How can people possibly believe in all this stuff? Well, the French philosopher and theologian Blaise Pascal, who was also a mathematician, you probably had to deal with his triangles in high school, he came up with this theological idea now known as Pascal's wager. It's a formula that doesn't so much try to prove the existence of God as instead it says, well, if your options are eternal life or not eternal life, just have a crack. It was purely based on pragmatism. And this is what the Frenchman said. He said, let us weigh the gain and the loss in wagering that God is. Let us estimate these two chances. If you gain, you gain everything. If you lose, you lose nothing. Wager then without hesitation that he is. His point was that you should wager your finite life against the possibility of an infinite God, not because God is real, but because he might be. (laughs) Pascal was speaking from a purely rational, though cynical, perspective. Shouldn't we make a choice based on our reason? If the chance of eternal life is on the table, shouldn't we be looking for it? Well, the real story of Christmas is never really the way we tell it because Christmas becomes so deeply enmeshed in tradition and Christmas carols and Christmas hams and twinkling lights. And it becomes hard to dig up the reality behind the stories. But that's what we want, right? Like we live in this peak Mythbusters, Snopes, well, actually culture. We want to know the story behind the story. Don't give us a story. Give us the truth. Jesus is real. Prove it prove it. But then we get to Christmas. And Christmas is strange because everyone's more stressed. Everyone's more tired. Everyone's more busy. You've got more appointments in your calendar. So do I. Thank you for making time to be here tonight. We appreciate it. Enjoy a free drink on your way out. (laughs) Everyone's got more on, but there's this weird sense of peace. So you're in the middle of dealing with road rage and with whether you got that Christmas bonus or not, and still, somehow in the middle of it, there is this bizarre, mysterious calm. Where does that come from? We end up simultaneously being in way more stressful situations with emptier wallets, yet we have this weird sense of joy residing within us, and all it takes is to look at a ladder with Christmas lights on it, and somehow that brings us peace. This is what Luke's gospel was talking about. Now, the thing about Luke is he was a doctor. He wrote clinically. He wrote honestly. He wrote without embellishment. If he wrote about a miracle, that's because he believed in it, because he'd explored it. If he wrote that Mary was a virgin, it's because he heard nothing to convince him otherwise. He was not the kind of guy you would normally associate with angel sightings. I know you're thinking about somebody else in your head. Don't think about them. That's mean. Think about Luke. He's not the person you'd associate with angel sightings. Yet here he is writing about them. He was a practical man. This is what he wrote right at the start of his gospel. He says his intentions are to carefully investigate, to write in an orderly sequence, 
and to help his reader know the certainty of the things about which he has been instructed. He sounds like maybe the most boring man on the planet. And then he's immediately like, angel sightings, virgin birth, scandal. Luke's got it all going on. Somehow, this ordered rational man is the guy who is sharing this story with us, the story of these miracles. Luke shows us here exactly what Christmas is meant to be all about. It's the end of cynicism. Christmas is the end of cynicism. If you're a cynic at Christmas, come on. Like, don't, the, Chris, look, cynicism at Christmas is so bad, they literally made a negative cartoon character called the Grinch to stop us being cynical at Christmas, okay? You don't want to be cynical at Christmas. But this is what Luke shows us. He shows us the natural and the supernatural brought together. The supernatural, in fact, wrapped in the natural. The terrified teenager divinely impregnated. The king of Israel delivered in a stable. The holy son of God born into flesh. And it's Mary who gives us the real picture. Because a teenage Israelite has an encounter with a holy God that somehow changes the world. You are literally sitting here today because Mary had an encounter with God. The language used about the angel's encounter, by the way, is, is almost exactly the same as it, when in the Old Testament, in the time of the judges, when this angel comes and meets Gideon. Now, Gideon is basically a coward, God bless him, and he's threshing wheat in a wine press to hide from his enemies. And an angel comes and says, welcome, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you. And Gideon doing a classic like, who, me? I'm not a mighty warrior. That's why I'm hiding, you know. Yet this is what the angel calls him. And then we get Mary, this terrified teenager. She could have been as young as 13. We're not entirely sure, honestly. Let's say 15. That's probably the most likely scenario. We have this 15-year-old kid, and this angel comes down from God and says, welcome, favoured one, you're going to be pregnant. And she's like, well, those two things don't feel like they go together, but okay. (laughs) Do you know what's happening here? God is not saying who you are. He's calling out the potential in who you're meant to be. The angel comes to Gideon and he says, mighty warrior, because he sees what Gideon's going to be. The angel Gabriel comes to Mary and he says, favoured one, because he knows who Mary is going to be, the mother of Jesus. God saw a terrified teenage girl as the perfect vehicle to save humanity. How is that going? Tonight, we've given money towards Streetlight, and I love Streetlight. I've been down there and ministered with Ben and Annie and the team. It's a not-for-profit, as you heard, that empowers young people from low socioeconomic backgrounds to achieve their full potential. And we chose Streetlight because we know it, we believe in it, and we believe in Ben and Annie, and we think it embodies the gospel of Jesus, bringing light into dark places, spending quality time with the marginalised, believing in those nobody has believed in and embodying hope for cynical young lives. I've been down there and talked with them. Every one of them has endured enough to go, I'm so cynical about life. I'm so world-weary and I'm 14 years old. But they're down there bringing light into dark places. They're down there with people who we generally look at and go, I don't know how much potential there is in them. And this team goes down there and says, I see something more in you. Why am I saying all this? Because this is the mysterious light of Christmas. The events of Christmas are like a tiny microcosm of the whole gospel. Because you and I are more broken than we realize. Way more than we realize. And that's why Jesus came, to save you and I from our sins. 
But you and I are way more loved than we could possibly comprehend and possibly imagine. That's why Jesus came, to restore us into the relationship with God that we were born for. It takes humility, it takes optimism, and it takes faith. You know that. But if you're in this room and you're not yet a Christian, I want to encourage you, the kind of faith it takes isn't blind. I know that's the fear sometimes. You know, you come in here and somebody like me gets the microphone and we lock the doors. And we didn't lock the doors, as far as you know. And you go, great, great, they're going to talk to us about the Sky Fairy. But that's not who this is. We're talking about the very real, very present Jesus. We're talking about the eminently provable God. The thing is, believing in Jesus doesn't just take faith. Really, more than that, it takes a suspension of cynicism. The reason most people don't believe in Jesus is not because Jesus isn't real. It's because they're waiting so hard for proof that they're not able to see what's going on around them. They're not able to see the light around them. Let me tell you, let's go back to Pascal's wager for a second, okay? Because he was talking about, just rationally, what's our best bet? Ooh, what looks like the options? I'll take option A. Okay, not very inspiring, highly cynical. Christmas doesn't feel like God's best bet for the world. Taking God, wrapping him up in a tiny baby, putting him in a poor family, in a, in a stable he couldn't even get an actual home to be born in, under a regime that was desperate to persecute him, within a people group that was continually persecuted for thousands of years, under no circumstances do you bring that strategic plan to your boss and they sign off on it. But here we are. It feels like a last resort. Why would you risk it? Why would you risk wrapping God in human flesh? Because God believes in human potential. He believes in you. He believes in you. The Christmas story isn't clean because clean wouldn't help us. You're not clean. I'm not clean. We don't even know what that looks like. Every time we do it, we're just covering over stuff under the surface. We don't relate to clean. We're anxious. We're insecure. We're selfish and self-righteous. Yet even despite thousands of years of evidence to the contrary, God says, this is the way I want to clean up this mess. Through Jesus. God chooses to see the redemptive potential in humanity. So not only does God come down alive, incarnate among us, to live and suffer as we did, to take all of sin upon himself, not only that, and here's how I know he believes in your human potential that when Jesus ascends to the heaven to be at the right hand of the Father, he says, and the way this is going to continue is through you. He takes the most ordinary blokes imaginable, and he says, you're the future. I believe in you. What you have in you is what the world needs. You will change the world. We're sitting in Australia in 2019, almost 2020, and a bunch of Israelite fishermen are the reason we got here. That is wild. By the way, pre-internet, they didn't even have dial-up then. And here we are hearing that message. This is what happens when God shows his belief in humanity. See, every other religion is based on humanity's belief in God. Only Christianity is about God's belief in humanity. Nobody believes in that redemption more than God. And God, friends, is knocking at your door. He's knocking at your door tonight. He's longing for you to have an encounter with him, to know him, to feel his presence, to meet him face to face. 
Christmas is a love story from God to humanity. Jesus makes his home on earth so that we can make our home in him. I guess in summary, what I'm trying to say is this. Don't believe in the Christmas story because it feels good or because you feel like it's the right bet to make or because you're longing for heaven or because you're afraid of hell or whatever. Believe in it because it's true. Believe in the Christmas story because the Christmas story is the hope for humanity. Believe in the Christmas story because in the Christmas story, we meet Jesus face to face and Jesus transforms everything. Everything. Jesus is a conquering king, but he wore a crown of thorns. He was born into royalty. He never lived in a palace. The only throne he ever got is when he hung on a cross for all to see. He was the king of the Jews, and he dies. It's not your normal story. There's plenty to be cynical about if you read it that way. Yet it's a story of hope. Because to follow Jesus, like everything that matters in your life, will take faith, but it's not a step into the dark, a leap into the dark. It's a leap from the darkness into the light. This is what the prophet Isaiah said. He predicted Jesus coming a thousand years earlier. He put it this way. The people who live in darkness will see a great light. Maybe you got here tonight and Christmas is nothing like what I described. Peaceful and mysterious and gentle. I mean, the ladders and the lights helped. But maybe that's not what it's been like. Maybe you feel like you've been living in darkness for a long time. Jesus is knocking at your door. I just like just level with you. I've just been sitting here praying all week, praying for people to find God for the first time, praying for people to fall in love with Jesus. Not because I really care about like ticking a box that says people got saved tonight or whatever, but because there's a knowing, there's a knowing when you know God face to face, when God meets you, it breaks you. Oh God, I don't want to tell you, it doesn't transform you into a superhero, Exhibit A. When you meet God face to face, it breaks you because your entire humanity is seen. Your potential is seen, and those two things are held hand in hand together. Your goodness, your future, your hope, your brokenness, your vulnerability, your hopelessness are held together. And Jesus said, I have both. I have died to overcome your brokenness. And I've lived again so that you can live in me and see out your redemptive potential. And the redemptive potential of humanity is called the kingdom of God. It's called this thing that we all gather together and work towards, not just because we want sustainable living or whatever. That's great. But it's for a higher purpose. It's because we're in the service of a king who says, everything in creation is a gift from me. And I want to see it restored and brought back to the way it's meant to be. Christmas, guys, is a story of hope. It's hope for your life. But it begins by killing cynicism. If you can't kill cynicism, Christmas is going to be tough. Life's going to be tough. You'll have a hard shell on the outside and you'll be dying on the inside. Relationships will suffer. Friendships will suffer. Your job opportunities will suffer. It's not a threat. This is just what happens when we don't let our hearts be pierced by God. God is waiting to break you in all the right ways. So tonight, what I want to do is help you find the joy of Christmas. And the key, the key is seeing Christmas like Mary saw Christmas. Mary had this great trust 
And we hear it right at the end of the passage that Ash read before, where she says, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be done to me according to your will. I just want you to think for a minute what she was saying to let be done to her according to your will. It was a pretty big deal. But she trusted in God. That's what it takes, a little bit of trust, to step into the life God has for you. This is not like your shiny Instagram life. This is the real, redeemed, broken lives made whole. You go about making broken lives whole in other people's life. It is the grit and grind. It is the beauty and grace of God. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you were able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We'd love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.